design was not an option for us, that it's not something that black people do. Uh, in order to be creative, uh, you need to be of this privileged group. And that I not only resented that, I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to bend to that. And I don't believe that. And you know, my mama taught me I was bad at this early and I believe her over you. So, so that empowerment as a youngster is what got me through. But I recognized very quickly that most people of color were stunted creatively. From the studio of Rule 29, I'm your host, Justin Ahrens. And this is Design Of, a storytelling exploration featuring interviews with known and unknown, extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. Today, I'm looking forward to sharing with you the story of Vernon Lockhart. In this episode, you hear what it was like for Vernon to grow up in a rough neighborhood, pursue his passion, and give back to the community because the community so richly gave to him. After catching up for a few minutes, I started the interview by reading the intro to an open letter Vernon wrote about why he does the work that he does. Enjoy the show. This is what you wrote. As a black man who grew up in one of the toughest areas of St. Louis, I didn't think I'd live to see 21. Wow. I'm a lot past further than that now, so yeah, we don't have to go into too much details about that. But no, but I think you know when I was 21, <laughs> that wasn't even a consideration in my mind. The neighborhood I grew up in wasn't much different than the one many Black youth who live in impoverished urban neighborhoods in the U.S. are navigating. So let's start there a little bit. So you born and raised in St. Louis. So can you provide a little context to you know that? reality that you had then? Absolutely. And, and, and just to frame it properly, I, I spent all of my pretty much winter and school years in St. Louis, but I actually was also raised in Starksville, Mississippi. I'm a Southern boy. And uh, my grandfather, you know, the Negro Leagues played uh, uh, on his uh, land. He had over 100 acres down there. So every summer we would go, me and my tribe, I'm one of 10 kids too. Um, we'll go down my mom. Wait, hold on a second. You're one of 10 kids? I'm one of 10, yes. I Man, am. I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Where are you in the line of 10? My, my, my father called me middle boy. So right <laughs> middle. <laughs> it was so many of us. We had our own teams when we went to play. We would go down south. We had our own baseball team. And of course, uh, we had our own basketball team with spare players. So yes, it was. It was That's funny. Quite, quite interesting, uh, but I wouldn't trade it for the world, you know, mm. uh, learned so much, like you said, in framing that. So I spent my summers on a farm over 100 acres learning the land. Uh, my background is native too, so learning the importance of the land and, and the value of land. And, you know, uh, my grandma, grandfather told me when I was young, the most important things on this planet are most important commodities actually are people and land. Mm. Those and exploited the most, as well as fought for the most, as well as uh, taken advantage of the most. Uh, so that in the context of growing up in St. Louis, you know, I saw a lot of that. You know, I grew up in a very uh, tough area of St. Louis. Uh, I grew up off a street called uh, Wabada. I found out now through the navigator that it's actually called Wabada. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that as a kid. But... And it was near the street called Goodfellas on the corner. There was this fish market, you know, and I didn't realize it. You know, when you're growing up in an area and, and, and it's, it's what you know, you don't know that it's impoverished until you see other things. Until you, and so, you know, kids with teas and stuff, you know, you grow up you grow near the fish market, and, you know, and things like that. But, you know, um, it was a tough area, but it was a whole lot of love. You know, I had my tribe, my brothers, my siblings, my brothers and sisters, and we you know, protected one another. I learned a lot about business, you know, from my parents. Uh, we actually, they actually, in the deep south, my my grandfather actually had a bootleg operation. Uh, so he was uh, illegally selling moonshine uh, to a lot of the troopers and things in the deep south. And so nice. we actually started selling. I was actually selling uh, uh, liquor, you know, they called it clear water down there. You want your clear water, you come up and see us, right? And, uh, <laughs> And that stuff will that stuff will erase your memory. Ooh, who are you telling? <laughs> <laughs> so I have a lot of uncles whose memories were completely gone. No, yeah. no let me stop. Uh, but um, so I would be sitting on the 
and, and selling moonshine, you know, mason jar, you know, $20. And, and so I learned business at my parents, you know, I had a tavern in St. Louis. My, my father worked taxis uh, through the night and then in the daytime worked at this auto place, and, you know, so they were very, very hardworking people though. So it, even in these tough areas, um, they worked hard. Um, we learned how to protect one another. Um, I was taught, you know, how to fight and how to protect myself. And, and you know, there were battles I won. There were more battles that I probably lost, uh, you know, was going through those things. So in growing up in those areas, you, you learn certain things. I, I, there was also, um, you know, poverty lines in St. Louis. So certain areas you, would go, you weren't supposed to go to. Uh, and even playing, you know, I played high school ball, basketball. And I remember going with my friends and, you know, and after a game, we were on the bus stop and, you know, basically got, you know, a beat down, you know, because we were in the wrong area at a certain mm. night. And, you know, I don't, I don't like sometimes when people say, uh, you know, a poor area, it, it was, it was rich in many ways. It didn't have resources, but mm. I, I would say a better way of putting it because again there was lots of love there and even growing up in those rough areas there was a code of ethics you know it wasn't like it is now it's much worse now it's gentrified that there is much more you know, my mom's house is one of the few that's left you know in that whole area we protect it because we know the value of land uh, but when you look at how those areas and the different levels of community uh, you know things would come in and you would see it like when you would see a liquor store on the corner or you would see then you it wasn't like a tavern my parents had a tavern uh, business where people come watch the ball games and things like that but when you see just a liquor store all of a sudden show up on your corner you know you, you kind of knew that and then drugs and that was then drugs hit and then you could really see the area uh, go down and mm -hmm. also code of ethics would change like you know, you start seeing gangs and you start seeing, you know, all these things where when I was growing up, you would fight, but you would live to tell about it, right? You right. know, you get into, you know, I got into fights because, you know, somebody was picking on my sister or got into fights because you know, my sister said I could beat somebody, which I couldn't at the time, so, <laughs> you know, but... Um, so it's, she, it was, she was trying to cash checks that you couldn't, uh, you couldn't back up, huh? I couldn't, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't, exactly, I couldn't deliver on it. She even said I should have got my other brother, you know. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. They're too well on that. So, um, but, like, again, there was this uh, uh, definitely community uh, feeling. And, of course, the way my parents raised me, you know, it was tough, some tough love there, but uh, also the importance of uh, the tribe. Having explored some of his childhood, I asked Ronan what was his earliest experience with racism? Yeah, the, one of the most toughest experiences when it came, came to racism was actually going with my parents down to Mississippi to Starkfield. And, you know, we were all in the uh, car and, and together. And we, uh, we normally pack food and go, but. Uh, for some reason, we had eaten most of it, and my, my dad, uh, who I affectionately call Fate, I affectionately call my mother, baby girl, give permission to call her that name. Um, so we, we get to this uh, restaurant, Stucky's, I believe it was, uh, and we go in and to, to sit down, and we, we come in, and we just kind of think sat ourselves, and we were sitting there, and, and nobody came over uh, to serve us. Right. We were just sitting there and then my father, fate, he kinda looked around and he kinda and this look came over his face, I never forget it. And uh, he kinda got up and he said, you know, told one of the persons that was serving, um, you know, we've been here for, for a while. He then then the the um, uh, young lady uh, looked looked him in the eye and, and then this young man and said, We're not serving you all, you know. Mm. You all um, I don't even know how you got in here. You know, you shouldn't be. And and the look on his face, and he, uh, and I think they kind of wanted to protect us from some of that. But I was just looking at him. He said, you know, let's go, let let's let, let's go. And uh, and then he kind of looked at him and said, you you all better be glad that I'm with my kids. Right. Mm. He he was that upset. And 
got in the car and, and drove off, you know. So that was the first, but I had many other encounters going so, up. So, no, thanks for sharing that with me. Well, what happened? Like, so you all get back in the car, right? You and your mom and your siblings. Did you have a discussion? Uh, not really. I mean, it was silence, you know. It was mm -hmm. more like, oh, boy, fate's really steamed. We were all looking at each other like, what? You know, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But uh, at the same time, I, I did kind of, you know, I would always go to my mother, go to baby girl, and kind of would follow a conversation and say, so what was that about? And, and she kind of, you know, would give me a little more context. She said, you know, uh, they they didn't want to serve. They were actually they were racist. And she said, mm. "You never, don't ever feel like you have to take on the identity that people are trying to force on you." And they were trying to make us feel like we were beneath them. And you know, your father has had a lot of experience in that growing up in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, and so he doesn't talk about it a lot, but it, it's it's very deep deep pain uh, for him. And of course, just even now, I'm learning about the, you know, about even family members that were lynched and things like that, that I didn't even know about. Uh, you know. That happened back then? They just didn't tell you? Exactly. You know, oh, my goodness. When, I, when I went to Jackson with my father, actually, it was one of those trips down there. He drove me around in certain areas and he would say, you know, so-and-so was uh, killed over there. Or this and that happened over there, you know, and I was mm. just going, wow, you know. Uh, recently, and I was at the Civil Rights Museum for the African American Association of Museums conference, and they had it at the Civil Rights Museum in Jackson, Mississippi. And actually, reading on the walls, I actually saw uh, a family member who was uh, Lynch, one of those who was being described. So, mm. impact of those kinds of things, I can't even describe, you know, uh, 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 knowing that you've been connected to such, you know, just uh, such racial tension. And, and well, that's hatred, evil. Yeah, yeah. Hatred, exactly. Yeah. Hatred. So, so yeah, that that's that was. Those are two very strong. One was from way back, and of course, one was actually very very recent. So, it's an ongoing thing. For me. So, thank you for sharing that uh, mm -hmm. with me. By the way, sure. so you're in this 10, 12 person household, and uh, you guys were, I, I really loved what you said about, um, you didn't feel poor, but it was more f felt under-resourced in some ways. Um, I don't want to, uh, just kind of blow over that as that's like, you know, an easy thing, but I I'm going to assume at some level though, being a creative in that community Again, this could be showing some of my ignorance or bias. So if it is, forgive me. No, no worries. Isn't something that uh, people were like, hey, I want to go be an artist or a designer or, or something. Like, how, how, did you, how, how did you navigate that? Like, when did you know? Yeah. Well, definitely uh, interesting when it comes to creativity and what it meant for me. So let me say this. For me, creativity is, is a thing that probably that saved my life. I know that. Right? Mm. And I'll give you some some depth of, of, of what I mean. So when I was uh, really uh, young, I started sketching and doodling. And, and so in most communities, impoverished or not, you know, that's a natural thing that for creators to start sketching. Or, but what it is, is, is what kind of response they get when they do it. That's what makes all the difference. So for me, I was very fortunate. I was blessed in a unique way that my mother wanted to be a designer. And in the 50s and 60s, that was unheard of. You know, she was now a designer or artist, or did she know what design was? She was. She did. She wanted wow. to be artist slash designer. She had Vernon, that's like exceptional. That, that it is. It's a very, very rare thing. And, uh, and I recognize that. So they're on the farm, Starksville, Mississippi. You know, her and she's a big tribe of them, too. It's about to think the same number of times. Uh, but her and her sisters, uh, so her sisters wanted to be nurses and doctors and things like that, right? And, and school teachers. So when they told uh, my father, my granddad, Jim Petty, uh, these things, they, they became a part of the Great Migration coming north. Well, my mom, you know, baby girl, she was like, yeah, I want to be this designer artist. 
I want to be this person that does. And they were like, what is that? You know, what, what? And uh, so she wasn't part of that. Instead, she worked on the farm and worked at this uh, sort of burger joint to get money to buy these books called Famous Art Course Books. And those books, um, when she, she studied, it was Norman Rockwell and all these designers and artists of old. Awesome. She went through the, it was commercial art. Mm -hmm. So she went through the programs and the exercises. It was a series of five books. So, uh, and those were dear, dear to her heart, of course. Uh, she so she it. was self-teaching herself as much as she could what she loved. Yeah, and then she started making dresses and things because there was a section on fashion, right, and on uh, and design and all that. And so, and graphic arts, and so she would draw these horses and, and, and images and <clears throat> so when I was about five and I was doodling and putting things on and, and doodling, giving them to her, well, she took them and put them on the refrigerator and say, baby, you could be and do anything you want when you grow up. When you, you know, don't tell, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do this, that you mm -hmm. can't draw and you can't, you know, and she said, this is your right to, to do this, right? And then I, and so when she told me that that's all I needed, you know, my, and then she gave me those books, you know. Wow. So when I was five, and what I'll do is later You still on, have those books? They're at my office. So what I'm going to do, I should have had them here with me. I would hold them up and show them to you. But uh, I, I will get them, and we'll do another thing, and I'll show them to you. Oh, how but, special is that? That's awesome. So she gave me those books, right? And I, I studied those books as a youngster. So I, by the time I'm 8, 9, 10 years old, I, I have, I'm, I'm under a design program of learning commercial art myself so and then i was also empowered so you know i popped my collar right my, you couldn't tell me i couldn't do it you know and but I, my experience in st louis growing up i had teachers and and all kinds of people would tell me what are you doing you know black people don't do that you know i literally had a teacher say that to me you know that uh i got in trouble for it you know sketching and drawing and, and basically said you know, that's not something that black people do. And, and I, I, that was offensive to me. You know, I was yeah. like, well, I could care less what you say. My mama told me I can do this. My mama said, okay. <laughs> so I had a confidence. Thank God for your mom, right? Right, right exactly. Yeah. I had a, you know, and, and my dad told me, showed me, showed me how to use my hands and my mom. Uh, you know, so, so your dad was all good. He supported oh, it? Yeah, well, he didn't know what it was. So okay. it, was hard, it was harder for him. You know, and he was kind of like, I don't get that you know but my mom in some ways i wouldn't say in secret but she would just slap me things and sort of you know or this and, this and, that, and i would study and, and then at one point i ran into a colleague so by the time i got to high school i went to a school in st louis old valley tech that had a commercial art program so oh, man perfect I, yeah, so i literally went to a school and me and another guy richard nelson who's my buddy to this day we out of out of St. Louis, you know, these two creatives that were competing with one another, you know, when I heard about him, I was like, who's this Richard guy? And I was like, he's just bad. And I was like, so I, man, I mean, he was, he was everything that everybody said, but we, we became uh, sort of allies and, and, and colleagues and really kind of, uh, kind of grew ourselves out of it. So here you are, your mm -hmm. mom has this passion to be a creative designer, artist, Mm -hmm. And she passed that on to you. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to a high school that has this program. By the way, how great is the stars aligning there, right? Um, yeah. It's an unbelievable to me how often this is what, like what happens. You know, it's, it, it, it feels somewhat completely out of our I, control, yeah. right? And then yeah. this is what happened. Mm -hmm. So how do you get from St. Louis to, I believe you went to the Art Institute of Chicago? I yeah, did. How, how did how did that happen? So uh, I wound up, I was kind of a dual person. One in the sense that where I was growing up, most kids and young people who did make it out, they were athletes. So, mm -hmm. you know, you had the Jackie Joiners and the different ones. And so, you know, they were older uh, than me, but they were these athletes. And so I was, you know, kind of looking at the way out. And since I, by that time I realized where I was, it was difficult for people because you know, people started getting, you know, hooked on drugs and, and liquor and, you know, and drugs are fairly new, but the, you know, the whiskey and all that, 
becoming drunkards, that was pretty, and then, you know, you had prostitution, you had all these different things where people who I knew were, were getting lost in the shuffling. So I was like, well, I was extremely focused as a young person um, because you had to be in those areas, right? And so for me, it was a matter of looking at what I could do versus uh, what, you know, was in the best interest for also for my tribe, for my, for my family. So I was very focused in, in my work ethic. I was focused in, and, and, and I was also an athlete. So I, I ran track and the track team I was on was, was, you know, very good. We were, you know, as good as not better than a lot of college, you know, uh, athletes. So I was getting looked at from that arena and, you know, basketball, uh, not as much, but more of just the work ethic, but my grades were like through the roof. You know, and so uh, I remember one of my uh, coaches was like, so you guys, you know, you see Bernie's grades? And I was like, please don't do that, coach. <laughs> you know, because they're, you know, because uh, guys are like, you know, uh, they they didn't take kindly to, you know, and, but I, so I also learned diplomacy very early, right? You know, you're not, it's not about being in the spotlight. It's about the movement of the whole tribe. And so- And just really quick, your your high school, like your team and your coach, were they- were they all black or did you, was it, you know, some white, some black? It was, it was mostly all black. We had, okay. we had maybe one or two um, guys who, who were, were white or Latino, but it was, it was a black population. Okay. St. Louis has a big black population, by the way. And, um, and, and underserved black population in many mm-hmm. cases. So where you get the Ferguson and all that you've heard about in the, mm-hmm angry to a lot of, you know, upset black people uh, in St. Louis. So, you know, and I, and I knew that I started learning how bad the stats were. And so for me, I was even as learning creativity and designing, uh, you know, I wound up getting some scholarship offers. I played a little while at SIU, but I had a quick conversation with my, with baby girl. And she was saying, you know, design creativity comes natural for you, you know? And so, at some point, you have to make a tough decision as to what you want to do. And I also had a scholarship offer to the Art Institute. I had a full scholarship offer. And, you know, I sent samples of my drawings and my work because, you know, I'm an artist first. Most mm-hmm. kids who come out of those areas, you know, I grew up drawing the superheroes. And, uh, and I have a story that I want to tell you about that that's very important. Uh, but I grew up drawing superheroes and knowing the importance of that, even turning into a, a business. Right. As a kid, I was I was making money, you know, one point my, my parents thought I was, you know, uh, selling something illegal you know, to, get that kind of, to get that kind of money. But it was actually something that they taught me to empower me to, to, to do that. And I'll double back and tell that. So that's how I got from. So in my senior year, you know, I had these offers. So I went back to the artist to offer. Didn't really know how big it was at the time. And then I, you know, talked to baby girl about it. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to go on and um, want to go to Chicago. I had a aunt and uncle there. And um, and then also my father. Uh, so my father's a gangster. Right. Um, and so that's a whole nother story. But he literally uh, I would get my clothes and everything going up Ill- illegally. Uh, he would, you know, get them hot. And then he would, we would work at the bar, me and my brothers on the weekend. And we would come in and he would go, hey, hey, middle boy, hey, Pocat, come here and try this on. Try this, try this jacket on and try not try stuff on. And he'd be like, you like that? But yeah, and then he'd go to Goldfring and different ones and say, <clears throat> I, give me, give me three phones for be Oh, hey, you know, they said, look, that's what I'm paying you. They take it again. I was going, hmm, it's a strange way of doing business and buying your kids. <laughs> the clothes. store comes to my dad. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was sitting there going, hmm, this is interesting. But that's how we got a lot of our clothes and everything, you know. And I knew he was a little, people would tell me stuff about me, you know, your dad, fake. He's this this person. And I was like, ooh, you know. But I realized it was for real when, when I was getting in high school playing ball and we had this fancy leather jacket <clears throat> that he had gotten me. And it was through that same process. And it was one of the coolest jackets ever, right? And I was wearing it, and I came from the game, and I was walking, and same thing, these guys pull up. And these were some uh, black guys. They, they pulled up, and they just ran up on me and my t- teammates, and they hop out the car, and they, you know, basically pull weapons out on us and say, you know, uh, give me your jacket. And I was mad. I was like, I ain't giving you my jacket. You know, I was, I was, you know, I had my own little... 
I, you know, I, I have a two sides. You have this nice side, but also have this side where, no, I'm not going to bend. And right. they were like, my, my friends were like, give me a jacket. You know, I'm like, no, I ain't give me a jacket. And, and, you know, the guy, you know, he threatened me. And, and I said, okay, fine. I gave him a jacket. And, and they drove off, right? About, and so I came home for dinner with my, and we were all at the table. And face clean. goes, where's your jacket? And I was like, oh God, you know? And and well, I think one of my brothers, my younger brothers who always spill the beans, somebody took it, you know, da da da. And my father's like, really, where, where did they take it at? And I said, I was over there off Southwest Highway. And da, da. so they took the jacket and he said, okay, fine. About a week later, I'm coming, same thing, coming down with my buddies and we walking. Same car pulls up and I'm going, oh, here, here we go again. Guys pull up, guys get out, the guy gets out there car with my jacket like with the clean it took it to the cleaners <laughs> <laughs> no way i'm serious yeah yeah and he and he gives me the jacket and say hey man i, I didn't know you were a locker i please don't you know don't you know <laughs> and, I, and he got in the car my friends were looking at me like hmm and i was like i, I said like, don't let it happen again you know? that's right that's right <laughs> right, right. so i, I kind of knew that my family was unique in certain ways you know so mm -hmm. i had this father who had this kind of reputation in St. Louis and so we were protected. So, so you had you had your own varying levels of network then. Yeah, we had for lack it, of better terms. That, that's exactly it. Yeah. You learn that early. You learn you learn, okay, I'm in part of a, a network that's going to help me get out of here. Right. Mm. And so that's how I got to the Orange Institute. So when I wanted to go my my, my mom and my dad, you know, uh fate baby girl was the one that talked me into it, you know, take it, let me go you know, and when we uh, got out of high school, it's kind of like you're on your own. You know, it's just so many kids. You know, the next one's looking at your room, going, "Okay, he'll be gone in a, about six right. months." In a hot minute, out. I want to. <laughs> I want that room. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so that's kind of how we graduated out. But mm. you know, my parents were very concerned about education and making sure that we, you know, had a better, had it better than they did. And so I said, I want to go to our institute. My, my Baby girl talked to fate. We all got him his trait in 200 sexy van and drove all the way up to uh, Chicago. And my experience was he, he drove me in front of the yards to literally took my bags out of the car and stuff and said, okay, let's, let's get to it. And I was going, what? <laughs> that was my, that was my send off. He basically said, then he, and, uh, and my, my mother was crying. And at the time I was tough, tougher. And I didn't realize the importance of that kind of thing. And I kind of, we would just do this. So mm -hmm. I can, and, and that's what I did. That was my send off. And I didn't realize until later that my mom was, was crying. She told me later that that was a tough thing for her. And, and I was like, you know, it's, I'm one of 10, you know, it, yeah. it, you got all these others. So what, but I learned, you know, that my bond with her is, in some way special because of the creative connection too mm. so that's how i got to chicago I, and by the way out of your 10 siblings did, did most go to school or all, all of them did oh, that's, that's awesome yeah 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 all, all of them went, went to, to school you know and uh have done done well for themselves <clears throat> that's all because of my the love that i got not just my parents but the community mm -hmm. uh it's tough tough community they were they were very loving uh, to, to, to me and to the, to our tribe, but also my aunts and uncles, you know, who, who I do a lot of these things for them. Um, and, uh, to that point, and I'll get back to it in a second, but I'll, I'll finish this part of the story. So my father did say, oh, here's one thing, uh, a number, it's just a number on it. He says, if you get called this number, cause, uh, uh, as far as trying to stay somewhere and stuff like that. And I was like, uh, but, but they, mm, they drove off. So, oh, hold, on, hold on, hold on. So he <laughs> dr dropped you off at the Art Institute. You had no place to live? No. No. Not, not. It's like he, he's going to have to, he basically told my baby girl, he's going to have to figure it out. You know? Wow. And, Did you have any money? Uh, just a little. <laughs> not a lot at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like he's, he's, this is the transition. This is, this is, and that's how they did it. You know? It's like, all right, he's, he's old enough to figure it out. You know? <laughs> uh, Hope, hope you work through it. Yeah, son. good luck. Good luck, yeah, son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was tough. It was tough luck. It was tough luck. And so, but that was one of the best things that occurred for me because I, I figured it out very quickly. You know, 
I went into the school, into the missions department and said, I'm new here and da, da, da. And I got a scholarship and they started working with me to set some things up. I took the number he gave me. I called it. It was actually my my uncle, uh, James Lockhart. They call him Jimmy. And he was actually this this like he was this dude. He was he was this this uh, super handsome, you know, just amazing uh streetwise man you know and he had a lot of ladies right so i remember i just <laughs> jimmy. said that right? uncle jimmy <laughs> yes yes jimmy and sure enough I, so i went to on the south side and i, I called and he's like who is this and i said i'm 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 vernon and he's like vernon who vernon and i and i said i'm fate's boy and he said oh blank you know man you know, well i live over here on this address come on you know so I came over and I knocked on the door and then, and sure enough, I knocked on the door and this this woman's like, Jimmy, somebody here to see you, you know, kind of thing. And he comes with his robe <laughs> to the door. It was you know, like like out of a movie, right? He comes to the door and I was like, uh, Jimmy, I'm Vernon. And then he said, he said, yeah, I, I know who you are. And he said, yeah, I got to, uh, I said, so my fate told me to get, get you. And he said, yeah. He said, yeah, I owe him. I owe him like a debt. He owed my father and he was like so my father wouldn't take his legs out he was like okay so he had this he had this basement like like hot austin powers pad yeah uh, in the basement you know he had the little strobe lights and everything and he was like so you can stay down there until you get on your feet and, and everything and so so that's how i wound up you know staying here at the leopard couch and all that you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so and so, and so an amazing experience <laughs> and so you know that's how i uh, and I wound up staying there. Actually, uh, 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 my friend Richard, who he was still in St. Louis because he he didn't have, but he had the same scholarship. So he wound up coming up a semester later, and we wound up like converting that space and paying rent, and and uh, I was able to. That got me on my first uh, year and a half or so, a couple of years, uh, until I wound up moving and, and all that. Uh, but great experience, you know, Uncle um, Jimmy. Uncle Jimmy, yes, I yes. love it. Well, hey, before before we jump to you know fast forward a little bit to where you know kind of through school to where you are now, okay. why don't you share with me your superhero story? Yes. So when I was around young, at the same age, I was uh, actually went to school, and you know how kids can be brutally honest. So yeah, and what what grade were you here? Or what I age? Was, I was I was around maybe eleven. 12 and I'm trying to see what grade that was but you know maybe six or seventh grade mm-hmm. I it mm-hmm. was around, around in that area yeah but I was went to school and and I um some of the kids they started teasing me they said look at his head it's so pointed you know he's got a football head and I was like oh and then they said there was this character called Ultraman a superhero and they were like he's he's Ultraman you know Ultraman and I was like oh it just crushed me and I was like, oh. so I went home with an attitude you know, went in the house and they would go and say, what's wrong with you? You know, and I said, kids at school called me Ultraman and I'm pissed and blah, you know, and she said, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, because I would actually run home from school to watch Ultraman, you know, it was like this whole series and I would, you know, Hayata, using the beta capsule, Hayata becomes Ultraman and fighting off creatures and, and my baby girl goes, wait a minute, it, didn't you say, isn't Ultraman a superhero? Isn't that who you run home from school to see every day? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, boy, you better learn how to take that negative and turn it into a positive. Mm-hmm. And then I said, hmm, okay, baby girl, I think you're right. So I went upstairs and I created this whole outfit, I, you know, the Ultraman uniform and the whole, the beta capsule light and everything and <clears throat> made this, I designed this whole shirt. And I went back to school the next day and the kids are like, you know, Ultraman, Ultraman. I was like, yep, that's right. That's me. And yeah. I, I was like, that's, I was like, yep. Yep. So, and, then, and then they 360, they were like, Ultraman, yeah, you're the man. And, da, 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 and, I, and I quickly learned the power of branding. That was my brand experience. So to this day, if you look on our website, you know, my, my close associates know that that's my name. They call me Ultraman. Ultraman. So, so if you look on our audience website, you'll see Ultraman. I have at our studio, we have uh, figurines everywhere. So we all have our. Are alter egos so ultraman is mine and on if you look on the site you see the baby ultraman so that's kind of you know for me my my beginnings and mm. so i started actually creating a business because other kids wanted to be their alter ego superheroes and i was into marvel and all that so 
I started drawing one of these superheroes for kids and then doing Zodiac posters and stuff and selling them. And before you know it, you know, I created this little mini business <laughs> as a kid. And, you know, I'd be having 30, 40, 50 bucks in my pocket. If my mom, you know, went through my, uh, uh, discovered I had this money. She's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I was like, I'm doing what you told me, baby girl. I created a, you know, logo business for, so yeah. So you're a natural entrepreneur. So you, you, <laughs> you, you morphed from your dad's, uh, uh, who knows uh, nefarious affairs or whatever, right? right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. you're selling uh, sort of personal brand alter yeah. ego that posters. That's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that was as a youngster, and so mm. so for me, you know, this this was all natural. Um, the reason why osmosis exists now, I'm going to segue to that real quick because I know our time. Um, so baby girl, when I was little, when I started growing up and knowing the the divine intervention and the saving grace to get past 21 and to get so by the time I got to close to 21 I'd start telling baby girl I realized what was done for me I said baby girl I'm gonna get you this big house when I become this great designer I'm gonna buy this for you I'm gonna get you these dogs I'm gonna get that and I would do that all the time she said baby I don't need that I'm good I got my house I got my my, my request to you is when you see a young person with that gleam in their eyes like you have and like you have then you pay it forward, you help them. That's how you honor me. Hmm. And there lies how, you know, me and a consortium of other designers of color did osmosis. So yeah, they're, they're down here. Okay. And so, that's so wait, that hold on, let, let me help, let me help segue a little bit to this too, because I, I, I don't want to miss this point, because I think this is a valuable building block. And also for those who are not people of color, probably don't realize the fact that, um, and maybe they do, I don't want to make that assumption that design specifically from my experience so far in the almost 30 years now doing it is a very white profession. Mm-hmm. Um, I can speculate on reasons why, um, cause it feels like a very privileged opportunity to be able to, you know, go to that kind of schools and have that kind of equipment and that sort of thing. Exactly. Unlike the, the awesome opportunity you had as a young, um, um, guy being in a high school that had that. Is that true statement? Is that true both then and now at some levels? It, extremely true. Um, I recognized very early, especially when I was going to school and in schools and in different universities and seeing that I would be the only one or maybe two to three at the most in a class of, you know, 20, you know, students. Uh, it was the norm for me to be the the only black, and I hate to say the word token black. In some cases, it felt that way, right? And, and I so, have to, I have to also be transparent and admit that I've said that too. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and so, in many cases, I, I knew. Now, fortunately for me, I had this history of of what was happening with not only the uh, designers of color that they didn't exist, but I had this empowerment of learning diplomacy to move quietly and move kind of below radar where people wouldn't single me out or say you're not supposed to be here kind of thing so i learned uh that it was very true that that the numbers were way off when it came to people of color but i also learned this it wasn't a matter that we weren't creative because some would tell me you know well you all you all (laughs) don't you aren't creative or you don't as does as people of color our culture has actually been taken and used and and warped into, but in curriculums in the schools, usually warped into. Just I want I don't want to to skim over that. Have been warped into stereotypes or beliefs that are fictitious. Precisely yeah. that of what good design is. Right. In many or cases, that you're even capable of doing that. That I'm was even it, an option, right? Yeah. It, precisely that that design was not an option for us that it's not something that black people do. Uh, in order to be creative, uh, you need to be of this privileged group. And that, I not only resented that, I said, no, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to bend to that. And I don't believe that. And you know, my mama taught me I was bad at this early and I believe her over you. So, so that empowerment as a youngster is what got me through. But I recognized very quickly that 
most people of color were stunted creatively. So mm -hmm. when they wanted to do that, they didn't have, you know, if a teacher or somebody told them they were drawn and they got in trouble for it or discipline, then they didn't do it after that. They kind of said, and so it was countless people who, who I met, different brothers especially that would say, man, Vern, I wish I could have done that or I had the opportunity that you had and, and do that. And I would feel almost guilty mm -hmm. because I recognized that they didn't get that chance. And so I said, you know, I'm going to make sure that that this kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. That if if our kids and you, including even you, the person that I'm talking to, if you want to do this, it's not too late. You know, if you want to, I'm I'm a I'm a big believer, and you know, I'm 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 a believer in in that things can happen, right? I'm a believer in energy. I'm a believer in 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 divine trust and all that, and so. I, I started saying to myself and talking with other designers of color, when I would find them, I would like, to talk with them and strike up a conversation. And so that's what I would do. So I would find these other similar experiences. And so I just said, you owe a lot, Bernie, you know, and I told baby girl, I said, if you send me to this design school, I will bring you home a degree. So I gave my degree to her when I graduated. I, I was one of the proudest moments for me ever i literally went home and, and said here you know and, and and put it up on her shelf and, and what she say you remember she, that moment uh, i do um she just stared at me you know i could see her eyes were a little watery you know and and i said baby girl this is yours this is mm -hmm. i wouldn't have this if it wasn't for you and i said and i told her and i'm also going to make sure that i uh created opportunities for other like others like you did for me and so she she just said and kind of to my face and, and oh man what a good son what a great <laughs> moment for your mom uh it was it was for me you know and i know it sounds kind of soggy you know but no you know it, it, it's it's what happened and, and think about that here's your mom who who didn't have the opportunity it wasn't even accepted probably even culturally mm -hmm. for for women Mm -hmm. to to be in that profession exactly. right she had she had both she yeah that being a woman too and here she is her 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 vernon uh, <laughs> helps live that through uh see that through for her that's amazing i got my bfa from the art institute and then i wound up going to because i learned art and design but i said i need to also learn business mm. so i wound up going to northwestern kellogg northwestern university i wound up working there uh as an as an intern and they had an incubator program. And also if you work for so long, you could get, you know, uh, certain credits and stuff to take other courses. So I wound up taking the Kellogg Business Incubator course for business. And that's kind of how I started building uh, Art and Lucent. There was a colleague, Dick Dessner there, and he was white, you know, and uh, not is, was, he still is white. <laughs> but but, but uh, so we met and, I met him at a company called Films Incorporated when I was doing freelance work. So before I got to Northwestern, I was freelancing and, and all that. And by the way, too, I had to work as a security guard at the Art Institute for two years as working as a night guard because my scholarship didn't go up with the tuition. Mm. So by the time I became a junior, my scholarship money was pretty much gone. So it didn't, it didn't follow the increase in... It didn't follow the increase in, so... I well, let's also, let me also ask this question. Quite, and just quite honestly, when you graduated from Art Institute, I mean, could you have gotten a job as a designer being black? Uh, it was extremely difficult. So when I came out of uh, the Art Institute, uh, it was difficult. I was freelancing it, and my friend Richard, who was exceptionally talented, he was freelancing. Now, actually, his skin was a little lighter. Than, his skin's lighter than mine. And I noticed that in some cases, he, he could get in the door quicker mm. than so I would be with him. And a couple of places, he actually wound up work, working at VSA. Well, it was called Vogel Stoic then. Mm -hmm. And Dana Arnett was one of the first persons I know he met and he freelanced and worked with. So I actually snuck in and started taking on jobs. Me and Dana laugh about this today. I start working and doing some projects, kind of slipping in with him. And, you know, they look up one day and I'm like, hi, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm freelancing too. Don't mind me. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm just here freelancing a little bit. And so... Uh, actually presented at a VSA recently and telling that story, you know. Um, so that, so it was, yeah, it was very difficult. I wound up 
getting a job. It's this young lady, Julie Zola, at, uh, was working at the Museum of Science and Industry. And she was dealing with her own racial stereotypes, you know, uh, and um, she was, um, I believe she was Latino, uh, but, but she hired uh, me. And I started working there and doing some freelance projects and then working at Films Incorporated. So quite frankly, it was a lot of the women in the lesbian community that, you know, were kind of, you know, I was working with uh, 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 a woman, uh, Shirley and uh, Barbara, and they had this uh, film they were doing called By the Light of the Moon uh, about the history of uh, Genesis and all that. So I started freelancing with them doing animation because I took animation in college too. Okay. So I took a bunch of different courses. I didn't limit myself, which is why Art on the Loose is called Art on the Loose today. I was like, you know, I'm not going to be limited. I'm going to, you know, do things. I started working at Northwestern doing, uh, at the Center for Public Safety. It was called the Traffic Institute, renamed the Center for Public Safety, doing cop brochures and things like that, which was really tough for me because I also knew the stereotypes of cops and brutality and all that. Here I am working in a department, you know, working on cop brochures and stuff. And so I said, I want to do more. I want to be able to design more. And so me and Dick Detzner uh, came up with Art on the Loose. I was like, I want to, we want to be artists. We want to be, we're artists first. And therein lies the name. And, and it's, it's, it's circulated to this day. And uh, Awesome. So, so you start Art on the Loose. You, you have your own business after years of just, you know, trying to kind of figure out your way, freelancing and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you remember the conversation about with your mom about making sure that you try to um, help other young Vernons um, for, for lack of better? Yeah, is, yeah. Is that, Bernie, is that an appropriate Bernie, place to start? Yeah, Vernons and Bernices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely, I remember the conversation. I mean, it was more of me talking with her about it, that that's something that I'm going to do. You know, mm-hmm. it was a commitment. And then... I met other designers, Angela Williams out of St. Louis, you know, Raymond Thomas out of St. Louis. So there were others that had migrated like me to Chicago and going to the Art Institute. So I realized I wasn't the only one. So we all started forming this sort of network among ourselves to really try to create opportunities. Uh, And these individuals uh, are the ones that really helped to, to create osmosis. Osmosis isn't burning. At this point, Vernon and I talked about Project Osmosis, and although he is the founder, it is a collective community effort. And its mission is to create programs and initiatives that identify, develop, and support young people from minority communities with demonstrated abilities and skills in the applied arts. Through these efforts, their intention is to increase the influence and presence of art and design professionals from minority communities while expanding the reach of artistic expression for all people. I just find that awesome. Its ultimate goal is to develop an interdependent exchange of artists and cultural expression that includes and values the contributions of artists from all communities, regardless of gender, race, or socioeconomic status. For art and design in its highest and purest form must be without barriers, borders, or boundaries. In short, Project Asmosis believes that all have the human right to be creative, which is where the next part of our conversation went. You have, you and I have had some really great conversations. Um, not by any means do I have it figured out or will I ever have it figured out. I don't even know how to explain it, but I think you and I have had conversations pretty transparently where I've said, hey, I would love to be involved, but mm-hmm. not in a way that lifts me up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. for, for lots of reasons, but, but even it feels even more important now um, uh, to do whatever I can to, you know, help lift others up and um, listen. Yeah. So with that, mm-hmm. can you describe what the current, you know, social conversation or cultural moment we're having? I know it, it, it's not a moment for people of color community. It's been going on for, exactly. forever. Exactly. Um, but uh you know what I'm starting to say? I don't feel I'm framing it right. But no, no, yeah. I, you're framing it perfectly. So first okay. of all, let me say this. Um, one, it's not, that's the beauty of this. It lifts us all up, you know, 
and you have a place in this. And one of the things when I've talked with, uh, you know, my brothers in arms and, and you're, you're, you're my brother in arms in this. And I know that that's why we have those transparent conversations. Right. But the, what, what I've learned in this is this is a matter of, of, of heart condition mm-hmm. and, and how one feels about others. Um, uh, not putting one culture above another. Mm-hmm. So in schools and universities, they teach, uh, Bahams, they teach German, they teach Swiss, Swiss design as the design, as, as what's considered good design. Well, you know, I lecture on design inclusion and I lecture and teach about uh, other cultures and other design and the young people in osmosis that we teach and work with. We tell them, look, it's not just about those cultures, it's about all the cultures, learn them all. And just like they have the human right to be creative, you have the human right to be creative. So you have the human right to bring your energy, your creative talents, your culture, what you've learned about other things into a creative process. It's not just limited to Swiss design or Bauhaus design, it's all this Brazil design. It, it's it's design over in Zimbabwe, it's design, you know, in Asia. It, it's And so once people recognize that and they don't stereotype it, that design is not a good old boys network, it is a network, Design is a problem-solving tool. That's what design is. And that's what I've learned from my mentors like Leroy Winbush and Chuck Harrison, Cheryl Miller, these design greats of color who've walked before me. They, they let me know that design is a problem-solving tool. So in my own personal experience and looking at life, I recognize that I was using design as a way to solve my own, you know, not issues, but challenges. Stuff. Stuff, yeah. exactly. That's a good way to put it. I was, you know, I was using creativity to empower myself, mm-hmm. but I was blessed to be taught that that's what it could do, and and Baby Girl deserves that credit, right? So, what I do now is make sure that that spark, that gleam, is ignited in a young person very early. We get them all in a room. First thing we do is, that's another one of our phrases. The world is designed by design. So even the oppressions and things we deal with, that's by design, mm. you know. So people, you know, ancestors, forefathers, whatever it is that created these different inroads that keep things the way that they are. So even the civil rights movement, that was done by young people, right? You know, you look at them now, you see Jesse and different ones, you go, well, they're old now, you know. But no, when they were doing it, they were teenagers. And so what we do with our young people is we let them know about their human rights with creativity mm. and to use design as a, how can I build a better bridge in my own community or make a better walker? I solve the issues of violence and violence tension. That's what we do in our Design Explorers program. We have 20 men, it's called 2020. So 20 men in 2020 look at themselves and they rebrand themselves because if you don't brand yourself, this world will. Mm. And so what we do is we talk to them about, well, what do people think of you? What, you know, we have some with the locks and some with the, they'll go, well, people see my locks and they see my pants. They think that I'm a hood. They think I'm this. They think I'm that. And I'm not that. And I'm da 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 And I said, well, for you to get this far and be in this program, we know you something. So first of all, I'm going to tell you what this brother told me when I was young, the first brother with locks. And he said, I mean, Mr. Foxworth, he put his arm around us and said, I believe in y'all. Y'all can be anything you want. So that's the first thing we do. So mm-hmm. we put them in a room and we say, look, we believe in you. And, and, and if you are interested in design, let me tell you what design is. You know, design is, is, a, is a way to solve problems. It's a creative force. You know, and if there is a creator, it's the creator's favorite pastime too, right? So <laughs> creating, and I said, you know, you're designed, you're wonderfully designed. That's what King David says in the scriptures, right? Amen. You're, you're wonderfully designed. So look at yourself and see this power you have within. And don't let anybody tell you because you look different than them. That, that you don't have it. And so that's really where we start with osmosis. And then we then we say, look, look in this room. You see these other people of color? Are these other ones in this room? Who do they look like? They look like you. And they're doing, they're doing this. So that's what puts them on that trajectory. And then we sit back. So we first did this 20 years ago. So now fast forward, there are designers from osmosis that we're recording and filming now. 
that are telling their stories and first meeting osmosis and all that. I was in the airport once, me and my partner, Keith Herbs, and this young lady comes and hugs and she's like, oh, where you? know, we were like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't <laughs> remember. Who are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> says, Do you know Uncle Jimmy? Because I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> she says, she says, Bernie, you all, you don't remember me, do you? And I was like, oh, she says, I'm, you know, um, I, I was in your one of your guys' first osmosis programs. Mm. Uh, she's this designer, this industrial designer, and just this amazing. So I said then, I said, you know, we got to capture these stories, Keith. You know, we got to. So that's. Oh, wait, let's not run through. Let's not run past that too fast. How'd that feel right then? Oh, it, it was. It was. Is this moment? You talk about feeling like you've done something that matters. Mm. My, my goal in life has always been you know, to make an impact that goes beyond my life, right? And so at those moments, that's when you feel like you, you're doing that. And so it's this sense of, and, you know, I've made this my career as a designer, right? You know, I started to learn, because when I was younger as a designer, I was like, I want to be communication arts. I want to be in all the books. I want to be, you know, I had the same aspiration. Don't we all? Don't all, we all? <laughs> as all of us as designers, you know, I want to be this great designer and on stage talking about, you know, well, see, this is the Helvetica, blah, 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 right? You know, and here we go here, yeah. right? And so, uh, so for me, that shifted, right? Mm-hmm. And I started to recognize that, no, my journey in this was about empowering, empowering tribes and not just the black culture. You know, this is about all cultures, like you were saying earlier. So it all is about, I never forget with Marsha Lawson, we were talking, this is when we were in AIJ Chicago and she learned about osmosis. She said, Bernie, can a white girl, you know, be down with osmosis? I said, absolutely. <laughs> that I, sounds I, so much like Marsha, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love Marsha, she's so forthright. And, we're partners in this to this day, right? You know, and what UIC and our design uniform, what they've done and contributed to this, the Charles Harrison Scholarship, which you just uh, mm-hmm. learned about, you know. Um, so I recognize that this is not a one, you know, it, it's it's a group effort. It's it's something that's sustainable. We're looking at this design center now to, you know, create these opportunities that go beyond our, our lives in this. And if I, can do that. And also this, the, how they say this rabbit hole goes very deep mm-hmm. because this is, this is, you're talking years and, you know, hundreds years of, of influence, you know, and so to even out of our own inheritance as people of color in this country, you know, it's getting out of certain stereotypes or, or being pre-branded. What we tell yeah. the young men in our osmosis program, when they get through telling us who they are and how they feel, we say, that's what we call being pre-branded. So now you're going to rebrand yourself. I love and, that. And that program is, is 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 one of the best things that we do. And so we, it's it's part of our design explorers workshop. And we do that with young women now, young men. Um, and then we watch we watch what we do is we have creative startup kids. We recognize that they have their own creative journey. So we don't try to dictate what we just the path. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We don't yeah. try to do that. We we put them in rooms and we say, okay, you all talk about creativity and about branding and about how you, now they know what it is. Oh, it's, 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 I love it to see them go back and forth and even the tension between themselves because now they're using design to look at how they can create better things. Mm. And that's where we're charged as creatives. It's not just about our careers and about being in magazines, you know, don't get me wrong, no disrespect to those things, you know, I want, I found we wound up being in a communication arts, but it was about an article on osmosis, right? And, and I said, that was very gratifying for me. You know, we've had some design work in there too, but, but I never thought that when I see the article about osmosis, that that would be more moving to me hmm. uh, and than anything else. And so that's what matters. That's what matters, man. And so, Hey, I got to tell you something. <clears throat> I feel so unbelievably grateful for your mama first of all, uh, for her supporting you like that. My mom was the same way. And, um, and our stories, although very different, are very similar in the sense that creativity uh, saved my life, uh, gave me something to navigate uh, a situation that for me in my context was <clears throat> challenging, right? So thank you for sharing that with me, but also more than anything, uh, thank you for inspiring me, but so many others to be a part of. Uh, and this is going to sound cheesy and trite, but it's true, brother. I've seen it making our world better, more educated, uh, more inclusive, more equitable. I know we have a lot more work to do. 
Um, I uh, plan to be uh, by your side, helping and supporting and doing everything I can. But man, thank you for uh, um, giving me space and talking to me when I'm a knucklehead. I, I value <laughs> you. I value you so much. And um, and we'll uh, we'll continue to um, uh, be a part of supporting Project Osmosis as well. So thanks, my man, for your time today. Uh, thanks, Justin, and uh, I appreciate you and Rule 29, what you've done in this movement. Um, uh, I'm, I'm grateful and, you know, taking out your time and even including your, your, your track in, in this movement. Uh, I, I'm grateful. So, yeah, it's, it's a deep dive for us, but when, we, when this center is standing, we'll look at each other and, and say it was more than I tell you what, let's make a deal right now on the show. When that center is standing, We'll go find some relatives and go get some of that moonshine and have a toast. <laughs> I can get that. Hey, brother, I can get that for you real easy. So you <laughs> All right, my man. All right, man. I appreciate you. Thanks so I much. Appreciate you. Talk soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Vernon, for encouraging us all to serve each other and to be the kind of heroes that are kind, uplifting, and have a heart for all in their communities. For more on Vernon and his work, at Project Osmosis, please go to projectosmosis.org. While there, you can see the latest events, consider donating, learn more about the center, and to help expand on the belief that we all have the human right to be creative. I would also like to thank Sleeping At Last for providing our show's soundtrack. For more on Ryan and his music, please go to sleepingatlast.com or search for Sleeping At Last wherever you get your music from. To design of audio engineer Steve Wick, who was so inspired and excited by this episode, that he wanted to give you his favorite superhero theme song. Here he comes, here comes Speed Racer, he's a demon on wheels. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tell others about our show and stay tuned for the next episode. Please follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcasts and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash design of podcast. See you next episode.